0: Good morning. I'm John Hattenberger, Interim Senior Pastor, and it's my pleasure to bring the word to this morning. It's, uh, we're continuing in our series that we've called Faithful, where we're looking at people in Hebrews 11 who are commended for having extraordinary faith. So this week we're going to talk about Samson. We've got uh, a few weeks left, uh, I think just two more after this Sunday. So it's been a good study, I think, and I hope you found it also. Um, by now you should have been able to memorize the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so today, after having gone through uh, 30 verses of examples of guys and, and women in the Old Testament who exhibited extraordinary faith, we get to verse number 32, where he adds six more guys to the list. And he says here, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets. And so whereas previously in Hebrews 11, the writer has told us the faith and what they were commended for and why they were commended for their faith, in this case he just lists six more guys and doesn't tell us. So we have to go and find out. And so we're going to do that this morning with Samson. So who was Samson and what do we know about him? Well, Samson was a judge. uh, Probably better to call him a deliverer because the word judge, at least in our uh, culture today, doesn't mean exactly what Samson and these other judges were. They were deliverers. They were people called by God to deliver Israel out of bondage or out of oppression in the promised land. You may recall the history, the book of Judges is, is, is in your Bible. It comes at a time in Israel when they were, had just uh, entered the promised land. So Moses led them out of Egypt, wandered around the desert with them for, for 40 years, took them up to the edge of the promised land, didn't go in. Then his lieutenant, uh, Joshua, took over. Moses died. Joshua took them into the promised land, and they conquered the people or drove them out and took over the entire promised land. And then Joshua died. But there wasn't any natural successor to Joshua. And so for a period of years, uh, Israel had no leader. They had no, no, uh, no, nobody to, to lead them. And we enter this period called the book of Judges where they go through this horrible cycle. The cycle is very simple. It's uh, the, the people forgot about God. They stopped worshiping God alone and they started to worship the false gods of the people around them. When they did that, God abandoned them and allowed foreign governments and armies to come in and oppress them. In many cases, took their land and their crops. And then when they saw that happening, of course, Israelites cried out to God. And then God brought a deliverer or a judge to save them. And then things got better and they worshiped God. But then, of course, they went back into the same old cycle all over again. Now, in the case of Samson, who we'll talk about today, the Israelites are being tormented by the Philistines. And so we'll see the Philistines show up in a major way here, tormenting the Israelite people. Now, Samson gets a lot of press or a lot of pages in the book of Judges. In fact, we see his whole life. It actually starts with before his birth and goes all the way through his death. And so it's, it's quite interesting. His birth... Is a remarkable one. It's remarkable for a couple reasons. One is that it was, it was, it was, it was uh, uh, many things about if, uh, about uh, Samson were predicted in advance before he was even born. And so, if there was ever a guy in the Old Testament who had a lot going for him, who had advantages and gifts and blessings from God, it was Samson. So let's just read about his birth, and you'll see what I mean. This is in, we're in the book of Judges now. Uh, if you got your Bibles with you, you can open. You can follow on the screen uh, behind me. We'll be in the book of Judges uh, all morning. So <clears throat> keep your finger there. Judges chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And this is Samson's father. And his wife was barren and had no children. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, And eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So we see right off that even before Samson was born, there was a huge amount of potential. In fact, God gave five signs. He told him five key things that would take place in Samson's life even before he was born. Five key things that that shows that, that God favored Samson in a major way. The first thing is that he sent an angel to announce his birth. Now, those of you who are Bible scholars will know that that doesn't happen very often in our Bibles, that an angel shows up to announce the birth of a person. It's happened at least three other times in the Bible in important ways. For example, an angel showed up with Abraham and Sarah and announced to them, even in old age, that they'd have a son named Isaac. John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, got a visit from an angel who told him he would have a son. And, of course, we all know that the angel appeared to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and told her that she would conceive of the Son of God. And so we know right from the start that that Samson's birth, being announced as it is an angel, is important. That God is looking favorably on Samson and that there's something special about Samson. The second thing we see here is that God appointed Samson to be a Nazirite. Now a Nazarite is described in in the book of Numbers exactly what that means. A Nazarite is a person who is set aside in a special way to serve God in some unique fashion. And in Samson's case, we'll see what he does. But it's, it's usually for a specific period of time, and it's usually done voluntarily by the Nazarite to do so. In this case, God appointed Samuel, I mean Samson to be a Nazarite, and he appointed him to be a Nazarite for life, even before he was born. A Nazarite does certain things for God, serves him in a unique way, and then he takes three vows that go along with it. And in Samson's case, the three vows are pretty straightforward. One, he promises not to drink alcohol. And I think that's primarily because in serving God in this special way, he wants to be in full control of himself at all times. Secondly, he's not to become defiled in any way. So touching a dead body, for example, would make him ceremonially unclean, unfit for service, so he's directed not to do that while he's a Nazirite. And the third thing is not to cut his hair. It hasn't got so much to do with his hair as it does a sign, a symbol, to not only to himself and to people around him, that he's serving God in this special way as a Nazirite. Now the third thing that took place uh, before Samson was even born is that he had godly parents. We see many people in the Old Testament who have parents who are are not God followers, but in this case, Samuel's parents are, are, are godly parents. They love the Lord. They serve him only. They worship him only. And they're very keen to find out exactly how they should raise their son. And so they pray to God that he'll send the angel back to them so they can ask more questions about how to raise up Samson, this boy, in the a, in a nurture and admonition of the Lord in the way that God would want him to do so. And in fact, his mother uh, takes on two of the Nazarite vows herself. She probably doesn't get her hair cut, but she avoids alcohol and she remains uh, ceremonially clean so that the boy, even before he's born, uh, is able to keep his Nazarite vows. And so he's got godly parents going working for him. The fourth thing is that Samson had a God-appointed purpose. Even before he was born, God made it very clear through the angel that Samson had a job to do, that his life was going to be about, about beginning beginning to, to uh, rescue the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. Now, I, I use the word begin because that's what it says in the Bible, to begin to do so. In fact, if we look back at history, we'll find that years later, uh, Samuel and David actually completed that rescue of the of the Israelites from the Philistines, but it was Samson's job to start it. And then, fifthly, Samson was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in today uh, in today's society, when you trust in the in Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit enters into a person, and stays there. But in the Old Testament, this Holy Spirit came and went at God's direction. And in Samson's case, God sent the Holy Spirit often to, God, this, to Samuel as he was growing up. And it was during that process when the Holy Spirit would fill him that he, that he took on these special uh, superhuman physical strength. Now, if I were to ask you what Samson looks like, most of you would have this idea that he's, he's a muscle man. He's a, he's a bodybuilder. He's a big guy with big muscles. But the fact is that he wasn't. And I know this because when, 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 he was, uh, when the Holy Spirit withdrew from him, Samson himself said, I will become weak as any other man. And so it wasn't the fact that he had, was able to do superhuman feats of strength because of his own muscles. He did so through the power of the Holy Spirit, which God sent to him to enable him to use the ordinary muscles that he has as a man to do superhuman, supernatural feats. Now, his hair, as I said earlier, wasn't really, uh, had nothing to do with his strength, except that his hair was a symbol, a symbol of his special relationship with God as a Nazarite. And so let's not get confused that somehow his hair made him strong. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled him and filled him to be uh, strong and to do physical feats. So those are the five things that Samson had going for him before he was even born. And so he had a lot working in his favor. He had special privileges. He had special gifts. He had a special filling of the Holy Spirit. So we expect a lot out of Samson. I'm sure that his parents felt like he was going to be the best judge Israel ever had. And yet, if you read the rest of the story, all four chapters in the book of Judges, I think you'll come to the conclusion it's a weird story. It's a weird story because here's a guy with so much potential, with so much potential, but when you get to the end of the story, you look back and you can't quite figure out what went wrong. He's like a puzzle. You just can't figure him out. Because he had so much potential... God had richly provided for him even before he was born, and yet, on balance, Samson was mostly a disappointment and a failure. Now let me tell you why. Why was he a disappointment and a failure? I think it was because he had poor character, poor character. If you read the story of Samson, you'll see his character coming out story after story after story. His character can best be described with these kind of words. He was immature. He was foolish. He was disobedient. He was disrespectful to his parents. He was vengeful, hot-tempered, arrogant, oversexed, lustful, violent, impulsive, reckless, rash, and out of control. This guy had character flaws coming out of his ears. Samson's life goes from one foolish encounter to the next. It's filled with lust and violence and revenge and conflict. It makes for a great movie, but it leaves you wondering what went wrong. Now, we don't have time this morning to read all four chapters in the book of Judges about Samson's life, so let me just give you a quick 18-point rundown of what happened in his life. Sinfully, Samson decided to marry a Philistine woman, which was against God's law and against his own parents' advice. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Samson tore apart a lion limb from limb. Sinfully, Samson touched the dead lion and broke his first Nazarite vow. Sinfully, Samson drank alcohol at his own wedding party and broke his second Nazarite vow. Foolishly, Samson made and lost a bet at the party. Filled with the Spirit, Samson killed 30 Philistines to pay off his debt. Foolishly, Samson went back to get his Philistine wife, only to discover that her father had already given her away to another man. In revenge, Samson burned down all the Philistines' crops. The Philistines got mad and killed Samson's wife-to-be as her father. And in revenge, Samson killed a bunch more Philistines. The Philistines then pursued Samson to try to catch him, and the Israelites, not the Philistines, but the Israelites, Turned Samson over to the Philistines. Filled with the spirit, Samson broke free from the Philistines, picked up the jawbone of of a donkey, and killed a thousand Philistines. Sinfully, Samson went to Gaza and had sex with a prostitute. The Philistines waited outside the door to grab him, but filled with the spirit, he snuck out. He pulled up the city gates of Gaza and carried them 40 miles away. Foolishly, Samson fell in love with Delilah another Philistine woman. The Philistines, on the other hand, bribed Delilah to, t- to help them capture him and to tell the Philistines what was the source of Samson's strength. Foolishly, Samson told Delilah that it was all about his hair. Disobediently, Samson allowed Delilah to cut his hair, thereby violating and breaking his third and final Nazarite vow. The Philistines then captured Samson, blinded him, put him in prison, and finally, filled with the spirit, Samson pulled down the pillars of the building he was in, crushing himself and thousands of Philistines at the same time. So that's Samson's life. It's action-packed, makes for a good movie, but frankly leaves us feeling as though it's a tragic tale of lost opportunity. Now, I'm not the only one who feels this way about Samson. Many Bible scholars have these kinds of things to say about Samson, which I found interesting, and I'll share them with you. One guy said Samson's whole life was a series of miracles and follies. Another guy said Samson had power to conquer others, but he, had, he could not conquer himself. Another commentator said that Samson's life reads like the exploits of an uncontrollable juvenile delinquent. And a fourth commentator said that Samson was indeed all brawn and no brain. Now, even in prayer, Samson doesn't shine. He looks foolish. He looks like an immature, petulant, self-absorbed child. He only prays twice in the book of Judges. And the first time, let's look at it. In chapter 15, he had just killed a thousand Philistines with with the jawbone of a donkey. And when he was finished, he prayed to God. And we see this in Judges 15, verse 18. And it says, And he was very thirsty, that is Samson, And he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Wow, that's not a very impressive prayer. Okay, Samson's thirsty, but he's speaking to God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Master of the universe. And if I were to paraphrase it in modern English, it would go something like this. Hey, you... Thanks for helping me kill all those Philistines, but I'm thirsty here. I'm dying of thirst. How about it? He doesn't even say please. Not only is he a bad prayer, but he's a bad leader. Samson, as you know, was called to lead the Israelites and deliver and rescue them from the bondage and the oppression of the Philistines. But he's a terrible leader. A terrible leader because, one, no one followed him. Two, he never led Israel into battle against the Philistines. He never had a military victory. In fact, he never even had a military engagement with the Philistines. He killed thousands of Philistines, but it was all personal. All of his victories were one-on-one. He did every single act by himself, alone, with no help from anybody else. That's not what leaders do. In fact, the only time that the the Israelites even show up is when they have 3,000 of them. They surround Samson for what purpose? To follow him? No. To grab him and hand him over to the Philistines, the very people that he was intended to lead. Now, you all remember Samson's death. It's a great story. I just want to dig into it for a, a, a few minutes. At about age 40, Samson foolishly fell in love with this woman named Delilah don't be fooled. In the movie, they depict it as a love story. It's not anywhere close to a love story. Delilah is evil, and she's out for herself, and she's she's been offered a great bribe by the Philistines to help uh, them capture Samson. And so Samson foolishly told Delilah that if she cut his hair, his strength would leave. We see this in Judges chapter 16. And we're going to read most of the story beginning in verse 17. This is what happens. He says, and he told her that Samson told her Delilah all his heart, And he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah cut his hair. And when she did, Samson then had broken all three of his Nazarite vows, and the Holy Spirit left Samson. God withdrew the Holy Spirit from Samson in response to him, breaking all three of his Nazarite vows. And he became weak like any other man. It says in Judges 16, verse 20, it says, And she, as Delilah said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out, as at other times, and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Samson lost his strength, not because he had cut his hair. The strength, again, wasn't in his hair. It's because the Lord had withdrawn the Holy Spirit from Samson, because he had then violated all three of his Nazarite vows. So the Philistines captured Samson and put him in prison. Beginning, uh, Continuing in verse 21, it says, And the Philistines seized him, Samson, and gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Philistines aren't too smart. Having determined that cutting off his hair, they think, got rid of the his strength, Somehow, I would have had a barber there every morning shaving that guy's head, but they didn't. So while Samson was in prison, the Philistines then threw this big party for their false god Dagon to worship him and offer sacrifices. And we pick it up in verse 25. He says, And when there, that is, the Philistines' hearts were merry, they were partying, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked down while Samson entertained. And so Samson saw then this opportunity for revenge. Even though he was blind, he must have understood the architecture of the building. And he knew that if he pulled The pillars down, the house would collapse upon him, and that's what happened. And picking up in verse 29, it says, And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And so ends Samson's life. A man with great potential who was was, prophesied before he was even born that he would be a Nazarite, that he would have godly parents, that that the angel would actually come and announce his birth, that he'd be filled with the Spirit to do acts of, of great strength, and that he'd be commissioned by God to begin the salvation and the rescue of the Israelites from the Philistines, and yet he lived a life that was marked by violence and Foolishness, out of control, driven by lust, driven by vengeance and reckless. So that brings us back to Hebrews chapter 11, where Samson is listed along with all these other great men and women of faith. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why is Samson's name there? Well, I struggled with that this week, frankly, because I found Samson to be kind of careless and really a boob at the end of the day. So much going for him, so much potential, and yet unable, because of his character, to really deliver. But I think we have to look more carefully. More carefully, I look, it seems like the highlight of Samson's life is actually in his death. That somehow in the prison, something took place in Samson's life that allowed him to draw upon his faith and shine. If you look at chapter 16, right in the middle of all that which we read, there's verse 28. Samson prayed to God to give him strength to kill the Philistines. Verse 28 says this Then Samson called on the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, this prayer is a short one like the other one, but it's totally different than the other prayer, isn't it? The prayer we read back in chapter 15. Samson said, hey, you, thanks for helping me kill all those Philistines, but I'm dying of thirst here. Come on. He's totally different. In this prayer, he addresses God with respect. He recognizes that God is, the, is King of kings and Lord of lords and that he's the source of his own strength. And he even says, please, twice. He's got a totally different attitude. The way that he addresses them, you see it in your Bibles there, it says, O Lord God and O God. O Lord God and O God, he's using three of God's names. Three of God's names are Adonai, Yahweh, and Elohim. And so the verse 28, which you read like this, it says, Then Samson called to Yahweh and said, O Adonai, Yahweh, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O Elohim. Why is that important? It's important because those three names for God are, are very, very meaningful. He's saying, he's saying, Adonai, my master and authority, Yahweh, my personal God, present, accessible and near to me. He's saying, Elohim, my powerful creator, mighty and strong. And instead of saying, hey, you, he recognizes God's enormous qualities and his dependence on them. Yeah, there's a little revenge in there. He says that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes, but you can't expect a total 180-degree reversal for the guy. But he's got a lot of respect. All of that disrespect and all that arrogance in his previous prayer is replaced by humility. It's replaced by dependence on God. It's replaced by recognition that God is in control and that his life depends on God delivering. I believe that's why Samson was commended for his faith. I believe that sitting in prison, blind, grinding grain like an old woman, being led around by the hand by some little boy because he couldn't see where he was going, big, powerful Samson. I think he reflected on his life. I think he remembered how God had provided for him time after time. I think he repented of his former foolish behavior. I think he recognized that God was King of kings and Lord of lords and that all of his strength and anything he had ever done came from God. I think he rededicated himself to being a Nazarite and to serving God the best way he could. And the only thing left for was for him to reach out to God, reach out to God in humility. I think as Samson's hair grew back, so did his faith. And so Samson's faith then enabled him to, confidently call upon the Lord in the end, in the end. And he called upon God to strengthen him, just this one last burst of God-given strength for Samson, the Nazarite, to use his God-given strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to pull the pillars down and accomplish what God had called him to do, which was to begin the rescue of the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. And God provided. God provided. God gave him the strength to pull the pillars down, killing thousands of Philistines and killing himself also. And so Samson died. So I look back at his life and I wonder to myself, what does God think about Samson? I know I think weird thoughts every now and then. You guys are probably going, why would you think that, John? But why, what, why do, you think, what do you think God thinks about Samson? Looking back on Samson's life, I know it's easy for me to think of him as an underachiever, for me to see just how much potential God gave him and yet to see how how far he fell short. So much promise, so much privilege, so many blessings. But he could have done so much more. I wonder if God has that same perspective, and I think I decided that he does not have that perspective. I don't think that God was disappointed with Samson at all. I think God knew exactly what Samson would do. Because God is king of kings and Lord of lords. He is a sovereign king who knows all things past, present, and future. So it wasn't come as any surprise to him, to God, that Samson had poor character. It didn't come any surprise to him that, that Samson would do all of these crazy, irresponsible, foolish, childish things. In fact, I think God looks down and says, wait a minute, John. Samson did exactly what I commissioned him to do. I commissioned him not to complete the rescue of Israel from the Philistines, but to start it. And he calls uh, Samuel and David to finish it. And so I think God looks down and says, I enabled Samson to do that. Despite his character, I provided the power of the Holy Spirit for him to do exactly what I called him to do. Samson, I think, is a walking example of Philippians 4. 13 that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I've read the book of Judges front to back. And the other thing that occurs to me is I wonder why the writer devotes so much time and so many chapters to Samuel's life. There's at least a dozen judges in the book of Judges, and Samson gets almost 20% of the book. Devoted to him. It covers his entire life. Some of these other judges get two or three sentences. And I ask myself, why, why so much about Samson? And I think it's because ultimately Samson's story is really not a story about Samson, it's really a story about God. It's ultimately a story about God's character, not about Samson's character. Because in the story of Samuel, we get to see God's character shine in so many different ways. We get to see that that God is able to take imperfect people and to use them to accomplish his purposes. We see that God can take people with poor character, major character flaws, and still get the job done for God's glory. We see that God has great patience, that God doesn't give up on people with poor character. He tolerates them and allows them time to repent. We see that God is merciful and he's forgiving. And we see that God can use anyone in any actions to accomplish his purposes. And then ultimately we see that God is all about empowering and enabling imperfect, poor character people to accomplish his purposes. Samson was indeed a man of poor character, but God God enabled him. He empowered him to kill thousands of Philistines to begin the rescue of Israel from the Philistines. Now, this is not to suggest that God looks favorably upon character flaws. Samson isn't commended for having poor character. Nowhere in our Bible are we ever commended or patted on the back for having poor character. In fact all over our Bibles we are, we are encouraged we are exhorted to become more and more like Jesus to develop good godly character God knows that we have character flaws God knows that we are inherently sinful people and it's one of the reasons he sent Jesus to die for our sins and when we trust in Jesus all of our sins past present and future are forgiven all of our character flaws past present and future are forgiven the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives and we trust in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit then helps us, one day at a time, to become more and more like Jesus. This process that we call sanctification, where he's looking, God is looking to us, once we become Christians, to become better and better over time, to develop our character and to get rid of the character flaws, one at a time, one day at a time. If you have character flaws, welcome to the world of human beings. I have character flaws. I know it's difficult to believe that. Ask my wife, ask the elders, ask anybody who knows me. The fact is, we all have character flaws, and we will always have character flaws. Even though God has told us to become more and more like Jesus every day, we're never going to get there not in this world, not short of heaven, we'll be be like like Jesus when we get to heaven, but when we're on earth, we'll never get there. We'll always have character flaws. And so if you think that you can't be used by God because you have character flaws, you're just dead wrong. It's a lie of Satan. Because God often asks us to do things. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about an audible voice from God anything silly like that. We get convicted. We meet someone. someone uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us in our heart to do something. We read Scripture and we're convicted to do something. We talk to someone else and they encourage us to do something, to use our, our gifts and our skills and our abilities to do things. And that's God's way of asking us to do stuff. Isn't that an angel shows up before we're born and gives us a purpose in life that happened to Samson doesn't happen to us? But all through life we're asked by God to do things for him on his behalf. And Satan comes along and does what? Satan comes along and says, Yeah, you've got a character flaw. You can't do that. You're selfish, you're greedy, you're 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 harsh, you're unfriendly. You can't do that. And that's where faith comes in. Faith comes in that says, Yeah, okay, Satan, you're right. I got character flaws. But that doesn't mean that God can't use me, because I have faith that God is going to use me. I have faith that God can use me. I have faith I can look at a story like Samson and say, if he can use Samson, he can use me. That's where faith comes in, to know that God has the ability and desires to, to enable us, to empower the, the Holy Spirit in other ways for us to do what God has called us to do. In closing, I just want to remind you that over the course of history that God has used men and women with serious character flaws for his purposes famous people i just want to go through a quick list with you know i had a problem with alcohol abraham was a doubter and a liar jacob was a cheater and a liar moses was a murderer rahab was a prostitute david was an adulterer and a murderer solomon was a womanizer martha had an anxiety problem Peter was flaky, undependable, headstrong and foolish. Thomas was a doubter. James and John were selfish. They wanted to be first. In fact, all of Jesus' disciples were just a ragtag bunch of guys with character flaws. And God used every one of those imperfect people with character flaws to carry out his purposes. But each of these people, each of these characters of a flawed character, each of these imperfect people stepped out in faith, recognizing that despite their own character flaws, that God could and would enable them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to do what God wanted them to do. And if nothing else that you take from this morning, Samson is a good example of how God can use people with character flaws to do his purposes and he can do it with me, and he can do it with you too. Let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the story of Samson. Thank you that it's not so much a story about Samson as it is a story about you and your character and all that you that you love. Lord God, you are a, a good God. You know all about us. Nothing is hidden from you, our flaws, our sins, the stuff we do. Nothing is hidden from you, nothing surprises you. Nothing that we do, none of the dumb, foolish, silly things that we do, come as a surprise. You desire to use us, Lord. I don't know why. I don't. You don't need us to do anything. You're King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're Sovereign Master of the Universe, and yet you, in your wisdom, have decided to partner with us to carry out your purposes. And so I'm thankful for a guy like. Samson, who had so much going for him, and yet his character was just poor. We know, Lord God, that we're the same. We're flawed people with character flaws, and yet we know, Lord God, that you can use us in mighty ways. So I pray today, Lord God, that you give us courage, that you give us endurance, that you give us strength, that you give us the ability to shut off the sound of Satan Because we have faith. We have faith in you knowing that you can enable us to do that which we cannot. We pray that we go from here today with that in mind. Saying yes to what you want us to do despite the fact that we're flawed people. Knowing that you and you alone will give us the power and the energy and the ability to do it. We pray all this. Powerful name of your son Jesus. Amen.